Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. We got Susanna Fogel here with a whole agenda for us tonight. A whole performance is going to be very exciting. Uh, she's a novelist, screenwriter, and director from Providence, Rhode Island. She's written and produced numerous projects for film and television, including the drama series Chasing Life, which ran for two seasons on a network that no longer exists. Um, she developed her first feature film, a comedy about friendship entitled Life Partners, at the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, and it was released by Magnolia. Back. By Magnolia Pictures in 2014. She's currently finishing post-production on an action comedy starring, starring Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis entitled, entitled The Spy Who Dumped Me, which will be released in August. And she's also an avid writer of satire whose work has been published in The New Yorker and Time. And Nuclear Family is her first novel, which we're all here to celebrate, um, who Nick Offerman says, this brilliant patchwork portrait of a modern family dynamic puzzled together through disparate, often passive-aggressive messaging rings heart-achingly true in our age of family diplomacy by text and email. Fortunately for us, it's also hilarious. And please give a warm welcome to Susanna. Hi. Um, thank you guys for coming. This is a much more of a turnout than I expected, but that's a good thing in the book world, I guess, I'm told. Um, so I... I'm going to start by reading a couple letters from the book. Uh, it's an epistolary novel, so I thought it would be fitting to ask some of my actor and comedian friends to come and read some of the letters, too. So I'll be reading a couple. And then um, a good friend of mine who once had a podcast, book club, book club podcast um, called Reading Aloud, Nate Cordry, is going to come up, read a letter, and then introduce some of the other actors and comedians and sort of be the MC of the night because he's very good at hosting and things like that. So... Um, I will start with a couple letters, and then we'll bring Nate up, and then he will relieve me of this responsibility of having to... <laughs> Great. Your dad does not care to negotiate with you about Hanukkah. <clears throat> Dear Julie, I received your handwritten note in my office requesting that your mother and I supplant our traditional eight small gifts at Hanukkah with one Super Nintendo video game console to be bestowed upon you the first night. Unfortunately, as I told your mother, I do not think this is a sound investment for reasons having nothing to do with our religious beliefs. After all, as even the most unobservant Jew may note, Hanukkah is in fact a third-tier holiday that has benefited from a massive PR campaign here in the States due to its proximity to Christmas. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that I am well aware of current research studies in my field on the long-term effects of video games on brain chemistry. As the results are yet unproven, I would be as negligent in allowing my own daughter to be a test case for this potential mental erosion as I would in allowing her to ingest off-market SSRIs in phase one clinical trials. <laughs> that said, I will happily factor in the spirit of your request when purchasing your gifts this holiday season. I've asked my research assistant to call detailed information about various Super Nintendo games in an effort to replicate aspects of the experience you seek. <laughs> You can expect books on various legends. Though Zelda may be fictional, the Decameron is thought to be based in reality. <laughs> and fraternity and brotherhood in contemporary Italian culture, Super Mario World. <clears throat> 
as well as several CDs of minimalist synthesizer music with repetitive melodies. <laughs> Love, Dad. The Nordic track in your dad's office just wanted to say goodbye. <laughs> Julie, what does one say to a lover at the moment when their mutual exploitation has come to an end? A lover whose flesh one has used to forget mortality, to pause the march of time, to deny one's own innate solitude. It would seem that moment is upon us, the goodbye we both knew was inevitable from the moment your hungry eyes alit upon my sturdy frame. For each of our encounters, though we enjoyed delusions of privacy, was ever more closely observed by the third party, the reaper of mortal souls that stalked us as if prowling a rocky Swedish shore in a classic film by a countryman of mine you are too young to know. Yet, my pain at our parting today is neither unforeseen nor unique. Nay, it is the innate suffering of man slash machine, as inevitable as the eventual slowing of the heart, in your case, or the decaying of the wood laminate in mine. <laughs> it is the lonely ache that lies within all of us, conveyed by the monotonous whoosh of my resistance rotor, or your heart's robotic percussion, both tonelessly scoring the mechanical emptiness of life itself. <laughs> Forgive me if I sound bleak. As a Scandinavian, I have a predisposition toward fatalism. <laughs> And it is undeniable that my entire existence as an exercise machine is one of futility, always moving but never reaching my destination. Mine is a life confined to basements, windowless bonus rooms, and, as in your father's case, drawn curtained home offices whose dim lighting mirrors their occupants' inability to access levity and happiness. <laughs> I was not merely a bystander to, but an active participant in your father's psychological descent. My limbs became additional surface area on which he piled unopened mail receipts, once even a banana peel. I provided a home for physical manifestations of his mental chaos while my own existential dread mounted. I collected dust. Until today, when your father and mother terminated their failed attempt at what was supposed to be an everlasting love of their own and determined that there just wasn't room in your father's new apartment for an exercise machine. When your mother, suddenly panicking about her physical appeal to future partners, decided she would prefer to invest in a new contraption in my stead, the enigmatically named elliptical, manufactured from soulless synthetics in Stamford, Connecticut. <laughs> when after years of broken promises and undiagnosed ailments on your father's part, your mother finally named the isolation she has felt for years. When your father surrendered to an instability for which he secretly loathed himself, a deep pain that only I witnessed whenever he entered his office at dawn under the guise of working on research, but really to make manic phone calls to old friends who remembered him fondly from childhood before his circuits began to short. As an object that bore witness to the fracture of your parents' dream of sharing a life, I have come to represent the detritus, the shrapnel of divorce. Just as in my youth, two years back in 1993, I represented an exciting new way for everyone to get defined sexy calves and burn up to 900 calories an hour. <laughs> Speaking of sexy, then there was you. You were 12 when we met. I was your plaything, an object of mystification and intrigue. With your baby sister and your wiry-limbed friends, you dabbled, pulled my handles, feigned strangling one another with my ropes. My youth was an era without warning labels back when lawsuits were for the dignified. <laughs> but last year at 14, you changed. You grew withdrawn. You talked incessantly of food. You watched television shows that consisted solely of models walking down runways, their eyes seemingly empty sockets. You quit the basketball team. You logged your caloric intake. Friends receded into the deep background. You jogged for hours. Your parents, despite their differences, discussed in my presence your welfare and whether they should worry. They decided it was fine. They'd keep an eye on it. If it got any worse, they'd take you to a therapist. Only I knew the truth. 
After midnight, when the house was quiet, I'd wait for the sound of your bare feet at the top of the stairs. I knew it was me you were coming to see. When you climbed astride me, breathtaking in a sports bra and hunter green knee-length mesh shorts bearing the logo of the Concord Academy Chameleons, (laughs) our bodies moved together in a perfect rhythm, tiny beads of sweat playing on your upper lip, so stiff with determination. After, I always felt a sense of accomplishment, that this is what I was put on this earth to do. But despite the fact that you returned night after night and spent hours atop me, you took little pleasure in our time together. For you, our love was purely utilitarian, a destructive need driven by hatred for yourself, not love for me. And I, in turn, unwittingly metastasized this cancer. In part, it was our encounters that sent you to the hospital that night in April. At least we were epic. Not so epic, I'm afraid, as my disassembly now. I can imagine no more degrading a fate than to be shoved into a sob hatchback, though at least the make of car pays tribute to my ancestral home. (laughs) And later resurrected in the dusty, electronic-slash-miscellaneous section of the Goodwill in Kendall Square. My uniqueness homogenized amidst hot plates and other first-generation electronics whose parts have been discontinued. Yet perhaps this is a poetic end for me. After all, technological progress, like a waning love affair, like the sun disappearing over a Sodermalm horizon, like life itself only moves in one direction. My power button will now switch to off. Sincerely, CPS Classic Pro Skier trademark. <laughs> Susanna Fogel, everybody. <laughs> Susanna wrote a book. What did you fucking do? Yeah. Let's get mad. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really glad that you asked me to read something. Um, This piece is called Your Cousin Paul, who has three very expensive watches, actually did something interesting. (laughs) To my family, mass email isn't really my style, but I just wanted to give you all a heads up about something that happened to me recently so you don't read about it in a magazine first. Some of you may have heard, thank you so much. I'm so squeaky. I know. Uh, some of you may have heard about this from my mom already. Long story short, the investment firm I work for, Prudent Capital, just found out that Vanity Fair is going to be running a piece about us in their December issue. Turns out a guy who started working in the mailroom last summer was actually a journalist working on a story about modern hedge fund culture in New York and decided to do a profile on Prudent because everyone at the company is under 40. Obviously, this was a huge violation of everyone's trust, especially my friend Chris and mine's. For anyone who visited me at college, you probably met Chris. He was president of my fraternity. Because we really took Evan under our wing, and we're even starting to groom him to maybe work for us next year. Chris and I take brotherhood really seriously in the real world, too. Anyway, it turns out Evan included a lot of really unflattering details about some things that happened when we were off the clock. Mostly this is just stuff my boss Dave did, but there is one detail about me in there, too. I'll just come out and say it. Basically, I smoked crack in my company's 4th of July party. Let me give you some context. The culture of my company is very dog-eat-dog, especially because of what is going on with the economy right now. If any of you have seen The Wolf of Wall Street, we're not that bad, but that is a pretty realistic depiction of the general work-hard, play-hard culture. Uh, We spend a lot of weekends at Dave's house in the Hamptons, etc., 
He calls it team building. And it's basically a job requirement to go. So when our CEO, Sunil, who was mentioned in the section about tax fraud, told us we'd rented a yacht for the fourth, we all knew it wasn't optional. Molly decided to stay home because she found out she just uh, she was pregnant. That's the other thing I wanted to tell you, um, but this seemed more important to get out of the way. <laughs> when we got to the party, it was basically the same as it is at work. You do whatever the senior partners are doing, or you get hazed. So when Sunil's neighbor from Gramercy Park showed up with some drugs, not a big deal to him because he's an artist and Jackson Pollock's grandson, things went to the next level. As far as what was going through my head when I made the actual decision to smoke crack, I honestly don't really remember everything from that night because I had been drinking too. That's the other thing. It's not like this was a conscious decision I made. You do not have to worry, turning the page, uh, that I have a drug problem or anything. This was literally the first time I've ever done anything like this. You've all known me a long time, and you know I have always been an athlete, and my body is a temple. The only substance besides food that I have ever allowed into that temple is alcohol. And when I ran the marathon, Chinese performance-enhancing drugs that were completely legal until last year. That's why I think what Evan did by lying to us for months is actually worse than what I did. He consciously knew what he was doing. He pretended he was an undergrad from Syracuse wanting advice from Chris and me about the hedge fund world and asking us to teach him our ways, preying on the fact that our school takes a lot of pride in our alumni network. Now that I know the truth, it makes sense that Evan didn't go to Syracuse. No orange man would do what he did. And for the rest of the article, I also wanted you to know that a lot of sections were exaggerated. For example, the section about hiring Dominican escorts at the cookout on Labor Day weekend to prepare all our meals naked is false. Yes, we did hire women to help us that weekend, but we did not expect them to get naked. And just so you know, throughout all of this, I have always stayed completely faithful to Molly. She's being a real trooper right now, by the way. FYI, just in case anybody tries to contact her and she doesn't respond, she's on a road trip with her friends in a new Range Rover for the next few weeks, but she says she'll be back at the end of the month. Uh, anyway, that's pretty much it. I, I, I just didn't want you to hear about this from someone else or read the article before I had a chance to get ahead of it. Again, I regret my actions. And if this causes any of you embarrassment or concern, I'm really sorry. Happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, our next reader, you recognize from both the stage and the screen, a regular on and off Broadway. Some of her screen credits include Mystic River, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and Whip It. She can currently be seen in the Disaster Artist, as well as Showtime series I'm Dying Up Here. Please welcome Ari Grainer. <laughs> Your mother's goddaughter, who's always been like a sister to you, was a real bitch last weekend. <clears throat> Dear Julie, my mom told me you were upset last weekend when you guys came up to visit us and I went to that pool party and didn't invite you and she wanted me to say I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, first of all, I didn't realize you would have wanted to be invited. You always seem like you're morally opposed to anything popular people want to do. <laughs> You constantly talk about how you hate makeup and dresses, and the only famous person I've ever heard you talking about having a crush on is Bill Clinton, which is obviously weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm sure you can understand why I didn't think you would care about having fun with normal high school kids. I feel comfortable saying this because we've known each other our whole lives, and I'm saying it for your own good. <clears throat> <laughs> 
In my opinion, if you want to be included in stuff like that, you might want to change some things about how you present yourself to the universe. (laughs) Here are some ideas I have that I think would majorly improve your life. (laughs) If you don't want anything to change in your life, disregard this list. One, clothes. I know you like to wear used clothes, but some of the outfits you wear just look dirty. Like, the coat with the fake fur hood that you were wearing last winter when we went to NYU for our mom's college reunion. No offense, but that really just looked like a dog. Maybe that's a popular style at your high school, but you don't live very far away from me, so I have a hard time believing it's that different. (laughs) Two, personality. Obviously, you have a good sense of humor, but sometimes it gets really annoying that you always have to be joking and making fun of everything. After a while, it's not funny anymore. I definitely have talked to a lot of guys who don't like that personality in a girl. (laughs) Again, maybe it's different at your school, but if it was really that different, you would probably have your own parties to go to on the weekends or would have at least had a boyfriend by now. (laughs) Three, hobbies. Do you have any? (laughs) Writing doesn't count. I'm only counting hobbies that are social. I recommend sports. Uh, In my case, all my friends are on the field hockey team, and it leads to a lot of bonding experiences. Also, when we travel to weight games, there are parties in other states, which are good opportunities to practice flirting, (laughs) etc. Four, friends. I've only ever met one of your friends from school, but my mom said that that's the person you hang out with the most. First of all, I can't remember her name, which is a bad sign. (laughs) All I remember is that she was wheeling her backpack around on a cart with mini trolls and koosh balls clipped on it. Obviously, you can understand why someone would think that's queer. So, it's also possible that you're not getting invited to things because people don't want you to invite her. You just have to ask yourself if you'd rather only hang out with her for the next four years or actually expand your social world. That's it for now. I'll let you know if I think of anything else. Sorry if I hurt your feelings last weekend, but this letter should explain why you can't blame me, Rachel. (laughs) P.S. If you're not sure how to do any of the above, let me know, and next time you guys come up here, I could give you a full makeover. I'm sure my friends would help too, and then we could bring the new you to some parties, and I would bet you so much money you would have a totally different experience. Have you seen Clueless yet? It's out in theaters now, and there's a great makeover scene in it we could use for inspiration. (laughs) Your mother's goddaughter just has a couple super quick things before you meet her baby. (laughs) Dear friends, Rachel and Kevin here. We have some news uh, for those of you who celebrated our wedding with us two years ago. Remember that part where we both said we had found the love of our lives in each other? (laughs) Okay, well, we don't know how to tell you this, but it turns out we were wrong because we both met someone else. Our first child, (laughs) Aurelius Bruce Mavitz Kivowitz Finch. (laughs) Aurelius Bruce was born weighing eight pounds, four ounces, in room 421 
run of New York Methodist Hospital between 1.29.55 and 1.32.13 p.m. from crowning to final toe with uh, four hairs on her head and a slightly discolored placenta due to tiny flecks of fecal matter in the womb. A time-lapse video diary is attached so you can witness all this in more detail. <laughs> now that she's home from the hospital, Aurelius Bruce is super excited to meet you. But first, as much as we hate to be those parents, we're gagging even writing this, um, we'd love it if you could take a second to glance over the short list of do's and don'ts before you schedule a visit. <laughs> for our friends who are already parents, this stuff is all probably second nature. And for her, our friends who aren't, don't worry. It'll happen for you. <laughs> <laughs> Immunizations. We'd love it if you were all up to date on your basic boosters, whooping cough, measles, mumps, and rubella. And while you're at it, it would be also so great if you could swing by CVS or Rite Aid and get the newly patented Black Plague vaccination, Bubonicil. <laughs> Unfortunately, since Bubonicil is still in phase one clinical trials and not yet approved by the FDA, it's not covered under normal health insurance. Luckily, it's relatively um, reasonably priced at a cost of $750 to $800 per shot um, in a series of four shots administered annually. <laughs> Other tests to all the single ladies and gents. Okay, we're super jealous of all the fun you're having. <laughs> we just love it if you could also grab a quick HIV test before you come by. Uh, again, once you become parents, you'll understand why we're taking these kinds of precautions. <laughs> of course, of course, if your results come back positive, that may end up being a non-issue. Um, no need to mail us the test results or anything. We trust you. Just scan email is totally fine. <laughs> For our friends who live in pre-war buildings, congratulations on your elegant, timeless home and its place in New York's history. Uh, it would be great if you could have your house inspected by a state-certified agency to ensure that no coat of paint manufactured before 1978 remains on the walls. If it does, please take a moment to repaint your home and dry clean your clothing to remove any traces of, of lead dust. Um, talking. Once you're here, it would be great if you could use correct grammar and syntax around Aurelius Bruce. Not a big deal. This is just a, a fancy way of saying please avoid any abbreviations, regional accents, or colloquialisms until she becomes linguistic. Um, obviously, obviously, this doesn't apply to our London-based friends who uh, are encouraged to exaggerate their pronunciations and mannered idiosyncrasies while interacting with their little one. Gifts. Gifts are not necessary. Your presence as a guest in our home is gift enough. However, if you do choose to bring a gift for Aurelius Bruce, thank you. We also thank you in advance for shopping within a gender-neutral color palette. If you've been keeping up with recent studies, you may have heard that prolonged exposure to the color pink has been linked to insecurity, a high risk for passive-aggressive behavior, and a diminished likelihood of leadership position in the entertainment industry. <laughs> The color blue, meanwhile, is associated with deficient empathy, an adult-onset tendency to respond monosyllabically during arguments with romantic partners, and a lack of awareness about the extent to which male privilege facilitates accomplishment in the workplace. Scary stuff! <laughs> polka dots. <clears throat> Aurelius Bruce is terrified of polka dots. 
And it would be great if you could avoid wearing any polka dots while visiting our home. That includes socks. And um, please also take a second to check your clothing for stains, as a stain often resembles a polka dot. That's it. <laughs> we know how busy you guys are. That's the thing about having rock stars for friends. So if you don't have time to do the above, don't sweat it. You can have a virtual hang time with our girl. To add her on Skype, just search her name, Aurelius Bruce Mavis. Uh, she's the second one who comes up in Brooklyn. <laughs> Much love, Team Kivowitz Finch. Rachel, Kevin, Aurelius Bruce, and Dachshund Faustus. <laughs> Our next reader is a graduate of the Yale School of Drama, and a few of his credits include Lady Dynamite, A Serious Man, Adventure Time, Fargo, Casual, and numerous others, including, if his IMDb page is accurate, fingers crossed, <laughs> voicing the 1998 EA Sports video game NCAA football. <laughs> Fuck yes! Yes! I played that ad nauseum in my dorm room in 1998. Uh, please give a warm welcome to Fred Melamed. Thank you. Your dad's friend, who makes you a little uncomfortable, thought it was great seeing you. <laughs> Dear Julie, thank you for uh, approving my friend request. It was really such a pleasure talking to you at your dad's wedding. And what a relief. I mean, you never know who you're going to wind up getting stuck sitting next to at these things. I'm sure that you felt the same way when you found out you were seated next to me. Even though, as I said when you sat down, I didn't quite recognize you at first since I hadn't seen you since you were a, a little girl. I know that I'm a doctor, so the miracles of the human body really shouldn't surprise me, but uh, what a difference a few years makes. <laughs> anyway, I really, enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed hearing a little bit about your life in New York and your budding writing career, and I wanted to sort of extend an invitation to you. I'd like to offer up my guest house on Nantucket anytime you want to get out of town for a little writer's retreat. As you might remember from visiting me in the summer with your family when your parents were still married, as was I to a woman who really never understood me, <laughs> the guest house is just a few yards from the main house where I now live year round. Among the other amenities, it has a full bathroom with a jacuzzi tub and a trail right out the back door to a, a very private pond. My daughter and her friends always find it very comfortable when they come down from Bard for the weekend. I think I mentioned that uh, she's abroad in Madrid this semester. Speaking of Alicia, she always leaves a few outfits in the guest room dresser, so if you decide to come at the last minute and you don't have time to pack, I'm sure she wouldn't mind if, if you wore them. She's about your size, although I think your waist might be uh, somewhat smaller. <laughs> Suffice it to say, the compound is really a great place to find inspiration, very Henry David Thoreau. <laughs> though I'm not really a writer myself, I once wrote an ode to the island that was featured in the Dartmouth Alumni Magazine. Now, speaking of Dartmouth, it also occurred to me that I have several friends from college who are professional writers and might be able to advise you or perhaps help you get a writing job. I know how hard it is to make those initial contacts. If you do end up taking me up on my offer, maybe we could take a, a little walk in the woods one afternoon and chat about what introductions you might like me to make. <laughs> Sorry. 
I should also mention that if travel costs are an issue, I'd be very happy to help you out with your airfare. I know how important it is to have a, a room of one's own, so to speak, while trying to be creative. I've always been a big fan of Virginia Woolf myself. What can I say? <laughs> I'm a feminist. <laughs> Which reminds me, I also keep an extensive collection of records from some of the grand dams of jazz in the main house. If you decide to come during the winter when it's snowing, there's really nothing like making a crackling fire in the fireplace, opening a bottle of Malbec. I still have a case in the shed from a medical conference I attended in Argentina. I was the keynote speaker for my work on precancerous molds. <laughs> Putting on an old Lena Horne LP and just, just letting yourself get lost. Not that I only like old music. No, no. I enjoy a lot of the new stuff, too. I have several new music stations programmed into my satellite radio. In fact, I once introduced my daughter to a track by Belle and Sebastian that she'd, she'd never even heard of. As you might have gathered by now, I'm not, uh, not exactly your typical dad. In fact, I can't remember the last time that anybody called me that. Everybody just calls me Larry. Even Alicia. Anyway, I should really sign off now. Diane Sawyer, whose house is down the road, if you decide to take me up on my offer, I'm happy to make an introduction, flew in a, a sushi chef from New York to teach a few of us locals how to make rolls. I always say yes to new experiences. Something tells me that you're a, a kindred spirit. Most fondly, Larry Shepard. P.S. If memory serves, you always loved horses. My friend down the road owns two Arabians. If you wanted to go riding, uh, I could make that happen. Your dad's friend who makes you a little uncomfortable is happy to help. Dear Julie, I'm sorry it's taken me a couple of hours to respond to your email. I spent the afternoon competing in the final round of a tennis tournament here on Nantucket. It was a fun day of being on my toes. Turns out I was the only person who qualified who wasn't nationally ranked. A lot of sports pros have, have homes here on the island. Anyway, I'm so glad that you reached out. I'd be more than happy to help you figure out what's happening on the mole on your back there and whether it could be cancerous. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell your dad that you don't have health insurance. I'm very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> also, I was young once too, not all that long ago, and uh, I remember what it's like not to want to deprive yourself of the basic pleasures of youth in the name of being responsible. I remember back in medical school, school, I spent an entire semester crashing on my friend's couch so I could save my rent money and buy a motorcycle that I had my eye on. I think I've mentioned already that uh, I ride motorcycles. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your skin. First, the basics. When did you first notice the mold and has it changed in shape or size since then? If not, you are probably in the clear, but just to make sure, why don't you send some pics? Amateur iPhone photos are fine. Either way, Without seeing it, I probably advise you to have it removed. I know that's a little hard to do when you can't afford to pay a doctor in cash. However, I have it on good authority that some doctors will accept payment in the form of margaritas and road trips to the famous Pacific Coast Highway. That's right. I'm going to be in California next weekend. As it happens, I've been trying to schedule a trip out there to meet an old friend from Doctors Without Borders. Bosnia, late 90s, treating burn victims in Sarajevo. 
Howie, my friend, actually lives up in Berkeley, but I figured why not fly into LAX on Friday, rent a car, head over to your apartment, and we could do a little gorilla surgery on that mole. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll bring all the tools as long as you have a working gas stove. We'll be good to go. Believe me, I had less to work with in Bosnia. After that, your prescription for a speedy recovery is to get the hell out of Dodge. I plan to get you a, pain, a plane ticket back to LA from San Francisco for Sunday night so you can be back in time for work on Monday. And of course, all meals, gas, and snacks along the way on me. I'll also supply ample Joni Mitchell and uh, Leonard Cohen. Screw Obamacare. I think you'll find Larry Care much more effective. I've already put plane tickets on hold. Just let me know if I can confirm. Most fondly, Larry Shepard. Yeah. I think the whole audience is dying to figure out how much of that is based in, in truth. Yeah. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, next up is a uh, brilliant improviser, actor, and Emmy award-winning writer. I saw him on the UCB stage uh, a bunch of years ago and was filled with equal parts of awe and jealousy. You've seen him on Parks and Rec, House of Lies, Comedy Bang Bang, countless others. Here he is, Ben Schwartz. Ben? There he is. Hi. Um, Fred also played my father in something. And I, I killed him by giving him a heart attack. Do you remember that? That's a real story. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> Diving in. Uh, the nice Jewish guy your grandma is setting you up with is a little self-conscious. <laughs> hey, Julie. Um, my name is Isaac Halpern Miller, and I got your email from my grandmother, who is neighbors with your grandmother at North Park Village back in Massachusetts. Hopefully she warned you that I might be dropping you a line. Uh, if not... I bet you've already sent this email to spam or reported me to Google for hacking or calling your bank to cancel all your credit cards because you think I'm a Nigerian scam artist or I don't know, all of the above. But if you're even still reading this far in, and again, I totally understand if you're not, let me know if you feel like grabbing a drink sometime. My hours are pretty flexible uh, since I'm self-employed. I run a startup with two budding, uh, from two buddies from B-School. More on that if we meet up. If you haven't already, run screaming from this email and then smashed your laptop with a hammer and thrown all the pieces into the L.A. River. Okay. I-H-M. P.S. You can be honest if you think this is too weird. <laughs> The nice Jewish guy who drunkenly slept, uh, who you drunkenly slept with, had a great time last night. <clears throat> hey there. <laughs> I just got home from work to find my condo empty, which can only mean one thing. You were abducted by aliens who now have you in custody on the planet Zog, where they erased all your memories and are training you to be a lean, mean, killing machine in their army. No, but seriously. <laughs> I take it you found your way home. Uh, I'm glad I was there to take care of you last night, even if it was all my fault we drank so much. I really shouldn't have brought up our grandmas and how much it's going to suck when they die. Uh, <laughs> but hey, you know what? It all worked out, right? Just an FYI, I'm not an asshole player or anything. I definitely want to take you out again. I was thinking um, one of our investors owns this B&B in wine country. Pick a, pick a weekend in May. Isaac, P.S. I just remembered 
I just remember that joke you made about the bartender's mustache and laughed again. <laughs> the nice Jewish guy who, casually, who you casually slept with just wanted to check in. <laughs> hey there, Julie. What's up? Uh, it's Isaac from last Friday. Just wanted to drop you a line and make sure you got my email the other day. You know, sometimes the email server at my office is a little glitchy and my emails don't go through. Anyway, if you did get my email and just haven't had a chance to reply, that's totally cool. Take your time. But if you didn't get an email from me, let me know and I'll resend ASAP. Or third option, if you did get it and already replied to me and I'm the one who didn't get it, I am so sorry. But would you mind resending? This has been happening with a lot of my emails, not just yours. Talk soon! Sent from a tiny robot monitored by the U.S. government. <laughs> the nice Jewish guy you blew off would like to defend himself. <laughs> Julie. Don't worry, I'm not writing to ask you for anything. Reading this email will only take five seconds of your precious time. But maybe that's still too much of a burden for you since that's, since that's more than you were able to spare from your busy day to do me the courtesy of replying to either of my emails. Or maybe you got a new email address uh, in the, or maybe you got a new email address in the last week and just forgot to tell me or things got real crazy this week and you didn't have time to write back. You're going to have to do a lot better than that because at this point in my life, I've heard everything. <laughs> Not that you're even planning on replying to this letter either. Why break your pattern? Whatever. I thought you were different because we had a good time the other night and you seem pretty smart, but I guess you're just another girl who's looking for some guy who drives a Tesla and knows all the right people so you can get ahead in your Hollywood career. Oh, you go, girl. It's all about who you know. Glad to see none of the cliches about women in L.A. being shallow and status-obsessed are true. Oh, wait, they all are. <laughs> Not that you even care about my side of this or anything else that doesn't directly benefit your life. But just for the record, I thought we should just be friends anyway. If you had bothered to reply to me and let me finish what I was going to say, you would have known that. I invited a bunch of people on that trip to wine country. But don't worry, I don't even want that anymore. I really don't need any more one-sided friendships in my life. Oh, also, I didn't mention this before, but my grandma said your grandma's a bitch. Bye, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gerbil you drowned in 1990 would like a word with you. Hi, you fucking bitch. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that a harsh opener? Do I give a shit? Bet you forgot all about me, didn't you? Well, here I am after 15 years to remind you. Do you know gerbils have memories like elephants? Guess what? They don't. Know who does? Dead gerbils in fucking heaven with nothing to do all day, but replay every second of our short, miserable lives. Some made even more miserable by little eight-year-old shits who aren't ready for the responsibility of the puppy they asked for. Is that why you did it? Because I was just some goddamn consolation prize? 
I hope you never got that dog. Then I hope you try to have kids later in life, and it turns out you're infertile. That's what someone like you deserves. See, I'm not a gerbil who believes in regret. If I did, I'd say I fucked up the second I decided to trust you. I don't know. You just honestly didn't seem like a fucking murderer to me. When you walked into that pet depot on the spring day in the 90s in those little terry claw shorts and your rainbow bright shirt, the faint remains of chicken pox on your angelic little fucking face, every single one of us in that cage wanted to go home and snuggle the shit out of you while you learned long division. I was just the only motherfucker smart enough to do a backflip when I knew your mom was looking because I knew she'd eat that shit up. And when it was me you carried out of the store to your Dodge Caravan, I didn't look back through that little glass box at my brethren. I was like, sayonara, bitches. Guess I laughed all the way to my untimely fucking death, didn't I? Hey, who gave you the idea for a gerbil Olympics, anyway? I mean, what kind of Olympics has one fucking contestant? And who even cares about the fucking swimming competition in the Olympics? You drop a motherfucker in 10 inches of water for what? Just to show off some little ginger kid with a lisp? What was his name again? Huh? Lo and behold, I don't give a shit. All I know is that the last thing I heard as I choked on mouthfuls of tepid bath water laced with the bitter residue of No More Tears baby shampoo was him screaming at the top of his tiny little lungs. I hope he never spoke to you again, then became a fucking model. <laughs> what are you planning on doing with your life now, by the way? What? Border Patrol have any openings? Slaughterhouse technician? Nazi work camp reenactments? No, really, I'm dying to know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you want to defend yourself? Were you just a kid? It was an accident? There are worse ways to die. Not that it's any of your fucking business, but yeah, sure. What happened to some of my friends up here was just as bad. My boy Pepper went blind after some fucking scientist at Maybelline or some shit poured mascara in his eyes. And some stone idiot fed my ex, Darth Vader. Yeah, that's right. He was too high to realize she was a fucking girl. To his fucking boa constrictor. Do you want to know why? Because no one cares about us ever. It's like my buddy Morgan. This wise old dark brown gerbil up here. He always says, a gerbil's life is a life of assholes. Either assholes are putting stuff in us or getting put in assholes literally. <laughs> Just in case you ever felt like walking a mile in anyone's shoes but your own, which I highly fucking doubt. You know, at least I can fall asleep at night knowing you still have to walk around the planet as a sociopath while I get to chill up here all day sipping on nail polish remover. Because guess what? That shit may be toxic, but it actually tastes pretty fucking delicious. Guess what else? Even though I died a virgin, thanks to you, I get the last lap there too. The second I got here, there were 72 virgin gerbils at my disposal because our entire lives are goddamn suicide missions. Now we get to fuck like rabbits all day. Sometimes, if you're a baller like me, we fuck actual rabbits. Glug, glug, glug. Remind you of anyone you killed dying? May that sound haunt your dreams tonight, psycho. Rocket Feller, 1989 to 1990. <laughs>
Uh, our next reader won a Fulbright scholarship. Mm. Well, 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 well. Look at you. <laughs> uh, I don't think I need to say anything else, but I will. You've seen him on Royal Pains, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, Prison Break, The West Wing, and most recently on CBS's 9JKL, which he co-created with his wife, Dana. Please welcome Mark Feirstein. Uh, your mom's rabbi has a great idea for a TV show. <laughs> Dear Julie, my name is Josh Saltz, and I'm the new rabbi at Temple Emmanuel. Your mother probably told you I would be contacting you about an idea I have for a TV show that I believe could be a huge hit. So where do I start? Well, how about the beginning? When people think of rabbinical school, they probably picture bookish types who spend all their time thinking about the Torah. This could not be further from the truth. I mean, it's more like a primetime soap opera with a constant stream of scandals, steamy love affairs, and bitter rivalries. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in the middle of telling someone a true story from my life, and they stop me and tell me, this could be on television. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have time to focus on writing it because my work hours are very demanding and I have two sons in junior high. It's a shame because I took a creative writing class at Syracuse and I know I have the talent, but in life we make choices. That's exactly what my show is about. The main characters. Rabbi Jake is the older, wiser rabbi in his early 40s who counsels all the students. He seems to have it all together with a beautiful wife and two sons in junior high. But the show will keep flashing back to when he was at the rabbinic school 20 years ago and learning these lessons for the first time. He was the resident heartbreaker on campus. And in flashbacks, we will see him sleeping with all the hottest girls, including many who were not Jewish. <laughs> Even now, most of his female students are attracted to him and are always turning his office hours into opportunities to try to have affairs with him. This will cause a lot of conflict in the show. There is also conflict with the rabbi's family because his sons are both straight-A students and there is a lot of jealousy in the community about that. His older son, Max, got in the 99th percentile on his PSATs and was recruited by the Johns Hopkins Gifted Student Summer Program. That can be an episode. And every episode of the show would start with Rabbi Jake delivering a sermon to his class. We can use my actual sermons for this part because they have a huge impact on people. <laughs> I would love to bring that kind of emotion to millions of viewers every week who are sick and tired of the same old CSI. Casting ideas, Clive Owen. <laughs> Miriam had always been daddy's little girl, but when she chose to enter the yeshiva, her father stopped speaking to her because he is orthodox and does not approve of female rabbis. Miriam reacted to this by spiraling out of control. She is the first person to try to have an affair with Rabbi Jake, and when he rejects her, she openly eats a ham and cheese sandwich in the middle of one of his lectures for revenge. She is wild and unpredictable, and that's exactly what makes her so sexy, casting ideas, Zoe Deschanel. She just converted to Judaism and would be perfect for the part. <laughs> Elliot was raised by liberal Jews who rarely went to temple. Then his parents died in one of the hijacked planes on 9-11, and Elliot turned to faith for answers. Elliot is very shy and buttoned up. The nice guy who girls always like is just a friend. He will end up turning to Rabbi Jake to teach him his ways with women. But with Jake's help, he eventually becomes the class Don Juan. But the one girl he wants, he can't have. Miriam, who only has eyes for Jake. 
Casting ideas, Andrew Garfield, he's British, but he can do the accent. <laughs> David is the comic relief of the show. He is gay, training to be a reconstructionist rabbi with crazy hair and style, but his options for dating are obviously limited at school. He always jokes that he is going to turn Rabbi Jake. We can always count on David to tell it like it is, even if it flies in the face of other people's expectations or the Torah, casting ideas, the page from 30 Rock. <laughs> and now, some episode ideas. Miriam steals a statue of Maimonides from the middle of campus. My ex-girlfriend actually did this and holds it for ransom. The other characters have to convince her to bring it back before she gets expelled. Will Miriam really throw away her chance to be a rabbi just for some childish rebellion? <laughs> That's the episode. Rabbi Jake convinces Elliot to go to therapy to finally deal with his parents' deaths. But Elliot starts having flashbacks. We can't use actual footage of the 9-11 attack. We, we can use actual footage of the 9-11 attacks. And ends up running away from campus. Everyone has to work together to find him. The final scene, which would be filmed in the Pentagon, will be incredibly powerful. <laughs> David meets the perfect guy while shadowing Rabbi Jake at a bris. So what's the problem? The Hold on. I will tell you. The love of his life is the baby's father, and he's married to a woman. Oy vey! <laughs> this would be more of a comedy episode. At one point, they can get trapped in a coat closet together, which is obviously ironic. A title for this episode could be In the Closet. A terrorist threat. <laughs> a terrorist threat by a local branch of ISIS causes a lockdown at the school temple. Rabbi Jake must negotiate with the terrorists to free three of the hostages: David, Miriam, and Elliot. Rabbi Jake ends up outsmarting ISIS. <laughs> A very special episode will take place in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. <laughs> Rabbi Jake is flown in by a wealthy couple to officiate their daughter's bas mitzvah and ends up hanging out with Jay-Z, who is performing at the party because the girl's father is his lawyer. This is actually something that happened to me, so I bet we could get Jay-Z on the show. <laughs> None of the other characters need to be in this one. There are, a, there are a lot more ideas where that came from. This wouldn't be a lot of work for you because I have all the stories. I just need someone to write them down. Let's try to talk next week. My schedule is packed, but I'll make the time. Rabbi Joshua Saltz, sent from my Adonai phone. <laughs> Uh, we'll finish the evening uh, where we started. Uh, the author, Susanna Fulton. Your sister, who has questions about your uncle's lifestyle, has a great idea for his birthday gift. Hey, girl, hey. Okay, I'm going to cut to the chase. You know how we think Uncle Ken might be a virgin? I know we have not discussed this for a couple years, but I seriously doubt things have changed for that dude since then. Like, he's still saying innocent shit all the time, like, oh gosh, and geez Louise. <laughs> for real, I know he's a high school teacher, so he's probably not allowed to swear at work, but still, what grown man says gosh who's not like a professional clown? <laughs> and remember last Thanksgiving when we were watching Jeopardy after dinner, and you asked if people wanted to watch something on HBO, and he said he doesn't even get HBO because he doesn't like watching all that sexy stuff? Like, what the fuck are you afraid of seeing? There's only one answer to that question. Poon. <laughs> 
Also, let's be real here. There is no way he has a woman in his life, or she would have pointed out that his pants are always like six inches too short, and uh, his turtlenecks with all his dandruff on the shoulders, you would at least think his roommate would point it out. That's the other thing. He was a fucking roommate at his age. I am saying this out of concern for the man. You know I think Ken is seriously the sweetest person. Remember when I went to stay with him by myself when mom and dad were working their shit out? Unsuccessfully, huh? And he thought and he taught me to, and he taught me that song so I could remember all the planets in the solar system. The one time I actually got an A on a test, lol. <laughs> okay, I promise there's a point to this email. So I was in Vegas last weekend with Kyle, guy I texted you about that I met last month at gas station. <laughs> was, was kind of a fucking nightmare because I thought we were going to do fun stuff, but all he wanted to do was spend the whole time at this weird illegal dog fight. Don't ask, why do I pick these men? <clears throat> and as you know, I'm really into animal rights, so I couldn't fucking deal. So I ended up just hanging at our hotel bar getting trashed solo. It actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I met this really nice girl at the bar. Her name's Bree. We started chatting and ended up chilling the whole night and going to P.F. Chang's together because she knows the manager and he gave us tons of free shit. Anyway, so it turned out actually Bree is a hooker and she was in the middle of telling me that she just had sex with this older dude who was a virgin and it sparked this idea since Ken's 50th birthday is coming up. You can probably see where I'm going with this. <laughs> Should we hire Bree for Uncle Ken's birthday anonymously? If he really is a virgin, this would solve his entire life, and it would never get traced back to us. Ken would never suspect us. If anything, he would probably just think one of the other teachers at his school did it, or his roommate, or whatever, or one of the guys he plays in that indoor racquetball league with. By the way, racquetball equals more evidence. All we would have to do is pay for Bree to drive to Denver and show up at his house. I already asked her what the price would be, and she said she would do it for $250, and we laughed about how it is another meaning of the saying, friends and family rate. <clears throat> <laughs> Seriously, I really think Ken would be into her. You know how he has that pic of that black and white actress on his fridge? I forget her name, but Brie kind of looks like her a little bit. And she's not super young. She's middle-aged. I think she's like 33. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, and guess what else? I can't believe I forgot to mention this. She loves Jeopardy, and she actually remembers when Uncle Ken was on it. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what if they fall in love? And then next Thanksgiving, Uncle Ken brings her home to mom's, and he's like, everyone meet my girlfriend. She's a brain surgeon or whatever, and only we know the secret. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'll stop till I hear back from you, but if you want to check Brie out, I attached a link to her Facebook here. Fuck, is that illegal since I'm not in Nevada right now where sex slavery is allowed or whatever? <clears throat> I'm so not trying to get arrested right now. Whatever, I'll be like, officer, I plead guilty of trying to make sure my favorite uncle doesn't die a fucking virgin. Then I would just have Uncle Ken come to the station to testify and the cop would take one look at him and he'd be like, oh, okay, I get it, Jane, you're free to go, huh? <laughs> No, but for real, dude, think about this proposal because I seriously think I'm a genius. Love me. P.S. What if the joke is actually on us and Uncle Ken is one of those super dorky dudes who secretly goes to sex dungeons and does super fucked up shit in his spare time like hanging from the ceiling from his nipples? Oh my god, why did I just give myself that mental image? <laughs> Your mom, who had six glasses of wine tonight, was just thinking about you. <laughs> Hola, honey! <laughs> I wish I could write upside down exclamation, exclamation points like they do here in Spain, but I'm typing this on my computer, which is American, and I don't think they make that key on American computers. <laughs> I wonder if I can find an Apple store here in Barcelona where I can rent a new keyboard when in Rome. Not literally in Rome, because obviously I'm not in Italy, but Rome in the sense of the old adage, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, meaning use the upside down exclamation point. <laughs> I want to be honest, honey, I'm stoned. <clears throat> I also had two bottles of wine tonight with Lonnie after a wonderful meal of paella, paella eaten on Las Ramblas. That's the main drag here. 
The manager of our hotel, Felipe, recommended a terrific restaurant called Dos Palomas with a window overlooking a very large and colorful Gaudi. I think I told you about Felipe in my last email. He's the one who has an adolescent son who competes in something called a rap battle and will be coming to Los Angeles for a contest in May. I hope it's okay that I gave Felipe your number for his son. <laughs> the waiter at Dos Palomas was a very tall man who looked like he might be part North African. Around here, there are so many beautiful people of mixed ethnicity. He let us have our own little wine tasting so we could choose the bottle we liked the best. Lonnie and I couldn't decide between red and white, so we had both. We stayed for hours just talking and laughing until the end of the night when the waiter's friend came to the bar to play cards and brought with him a bag of something. Can't remember the name in Spanish right now, but the gist is that it was hashish and Lonnie and I figured why not. <laughs> Being here reminds me of the last time I was in Spain, one summer during graduate school. I haven't really told you about this part of my life, so I hope it's okay that I'm sharing it now. I briefly had a Spanish boyfriend named Federico, who was studying politics. We met while studying for finals in a Syrian cafe a few blocks from Colombia that served wonderful Middle Eastern sandwiches. <laughs> I was drawn to Federico because he was different. At that time, all the other men on campus were only passionate about one thing, protesting the Vietnam War. But Federico wanted to escape it all and move back to Spain. He invited me to spend the summer with his family on an olive farm, and as you can imagine, that seemed very romantic, so I accepted. But it turned out to be a fantasy. For one thing, Federico was culturally very macho. His parents were very nice and welcomed me in, into their home, but it became clear they wanted their son to have a traditional wife to cook and clean, and I was studying to have my own career as an analyst. I knew that sort of traditional life wasn't for me, so I told Federico I had to leave. He became hysterical. At one point, he even threw a plate across the room, and I thought, I have to get out of here. I walked five miles to the train station. Unfortunately, I had given up my apartment in New York for the summer, so I decided to stay in Europe for another month. I took a train all the way to Amsterdam and found a spare room for rent at the home of a very artistic couple. <laughs> Jens and Mika and I cooked meals together, and they showed me their work every night. I even posed for some of Jens's paintings that were very impressionistic and haunting, like the work of Hieronymus Bosch. <laughs> in one of them, my face becomes a clown's face, and the ground underneath me is made of lava and rising up to swallow the earth. <laughs> there was something very sexual about Jens's work, and in fact, one night Jens and asked me to join them in some sexual experimentation. <laughs> At that time in my life, I'd only slept with two people. My first boyfriend, Simon, who became a mathematician, and Federico, so I was curious to try it. The touching felt good and very intimate. <laughs> Mika had grown up on a horse farm where her parents raised Hanoverians, and she was a skilled horsewoman. That much was clear. <laughs> but I could tell Jens had feelings for me that were more than just physical, so I came back to the States. The night I got back to New York, I went to a jazz club to meet my friend Polly, and that's when I met your dad. Did you know your dad used to love jazz? Even during the busiest time of medical school in his residency, you would make the time to hear music and go to museums. Your dad had lots of passions then before his depression got so much worse. I wish you had had a chance to meet that version of him. It's funny that I just called him your dad. Remember when we were still married and I just used to call him dad? Okay, sweetie, I should head to sleep. But first, I'm going to eat the rest of this Danish we brought at a stand from a wonderful young woman named Margarita. Lonnie and I visit her every day since we got here. Margarita has very curly hair and reminds me of you. Have you ever thought about how there are people just like you and me all over the world who look and act so similar to us, but they aren't us? <laughs> I wish I could send you a piece of this Danish so you could taste how delicious it is. Love, Mom. To open up, just uh, I'm, it's a long time this, but uh, 
it's still a functioning store. We're cool. We're a functioning store. Uh, <laughs> if anyone had any questions for Susanna about uh, this book in particular or any of the other uh, for other work, um, that would be a great time. Any other questions? I have a question. Uh, this last letter, my, my mother, um, uh, <laughs> she's driving around the country uh, in an RV. She has been for the past three years. Uh, with her wife, and she went through Colorado, and she got some lozenges, and uh, <laughs> really passionate about it, and wanted to uh, express how much fun she had. Did that? Is this uh, story based in truth, or is that completely invented from your brain? No, I mean I wish my mother would go to Spain, and <laughs> but a lot of the letters in the book uh, from my mom are like my wish fulfillment for what mm. she might do and the adventure she might take in her life because she used to be this very bohemian, adventurous woman who traveled all over the world and lately her, you know, as she's gotten older, like the, the parameters of her life have gotten a little bit like more prescribed and mm. I, I think she should like revisit that version of herself before yeah. it's too late. So this is, I keep suggesting it. I, Sending her on like all sorts of adventures yeah, yeah. in the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> any, uh, any questions? The problem is she doesn't recognize herself in the book, so it's like a waste of my time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Hey, Brennan Bragg, big fan. Uh, <laughs> I read the book, also really love it. Uh, why why you got to hate Syracuse so much? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. I just um, I imagined like a a jockey, fratty uh, guy, and then I thought, where would he have gone to school? And then I thought, you, and then I... <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Fred? I have a question. When you write this way, in the epistolary format, you have to pretend to be all the characters, but you don't get any, you don't get the opportunity to show any overview. It's all you speaking in the character's voice. What made you decide to do that this way? Um, I, I mean, my background is in film and TV writing, and so I'm very comfortable writing dialogue in different voices, but not as comfortable knowing what my own voice is. So to me, it was like a baby step towards writing, you know, another kind of book. But this started as just like individual letters, and um, I don't know, I found the format easy as someone who likes to write dialogue and monologues. So it became a book that way. Um, and eventually I hope to, to write something where I have more of an objective voice, too. But, I mean, basically this is the only thing I can do, so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Yes? How did your family react when they read the book? Did they see themselves in it? Or were they offended? Or did they laugh? What, were, what were the responses? Well, I mean, they seem to be fine with it. Uh, I don't know how they really feel about it. <laughs> they didn't all show up to my Boston event. Um, but uh, it's a mix of like not seeing themselves in the book. Um, and you know, my mom and dad who are divorced both think that the other person got like the worst treatment. Like my dad said, um, oh wow, I got off easy, your mom. And my mom was like, I can't believe your father's still speaking to you. <laughs> Yeah, so I just am allowing them to see the character assassinations in each other's. That's <laughs> the next book. That's the next book, yeah. Um, but they, I mean, my family's been, like, they are very, um, 
they're they have great senses of humor in that they like have never minded all the many 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 times I've put them in scripts books like yeah they they, they kind of expect it like that's what I get in exchange for like all of the chaos is that I get to sort of like take license with their lives so, okay. I mean I've decided that's the deal we made <laughs> so, so yeah any other questions thanks so much for coming out thank you so much wine and and stuff so please have some until they kick us out of here which might only be about five minutes so hurry up. <laughs> not five minutes um if you want to buy the book you can do so at the back we will clear a little bit of this out and we'll get the signing going um buy the book buy all the books here the book there's a lot of them uh and drink all the booze thanks guys <laughs>